Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is Staying Out of God's Way. Staying Out of God's Way. Mark 8, 31 to 33. And you'll see why I named it this in a little bit. One of my most vivid Christmas memories ever was after Kim and I had been married for a couple of years. We were living in Connecticut. I was a youth pastor in Connecticut. And we decided to go home to the farm, brave the snow and cold, and try to go to the farm near Niagara Falls, Buffalo area, for Christmas. And I was like so excited because I was like, Kim, this is going to be like a Hallmark Christmas. There's all this snow. We're on the farm. You know, it's going to be just a really special time. And it was, we go to bed Christmas Eve. And my dad wakes me up on Christmas morning at 4 a.m. and says, Chuck, can you help me? One of the cows is having a calf and uh, having a little trouble. Can you come and help me? And a while back I may have told this story. Some of you might remember where I'm going with this. And I, I said, this is perfect because Kim had never seen a, a a calf born before. There are any farm animals born before. And I always told her how special it was, how touching it was. So I woke her up. I said, this is going to be just like the Waltons. You're going to love this, you know. And so I wake her up. And we uh, get out there. We trudge through the snow and cold. And she hates getting up at four in the morning anyway. But uh, she's not real big on farms and snow and all that. She didn't mind petting the cats. But she wasn't big on the whole farm thing. Uh, green acres, you know. So, I, so we get out there. And, and it was a first calf heifer. That's, this is a heifer who's never had a calf before, and it's always a little tricky, first calf. But it was first calf heifer, and it turns out it was a big bull. How did we know? Well, the only thing coming out was a huge leg. I mean, you, can, you get the note, you figure these things out. It was a big bull calf for the first baby, and that is like the farmer's nightmare. And it was brutal. It was brutal. Uh, Pretty soon all my sibs were, all the, anybody who was home for Christmas was out there with us trying to save this calf and save this cow. It was just crazy out there. Uh, we were all lined up there and we had ropes to the legs. Usually you'd pull the baby calf out, you'd both grab a leg and you could ease it out. Or sometimes you put a rope, you know, a piece of twine, bailing twine, you just keep some pressure. But when it's a first calf heifer and it's a giant bull, it was bad. It was brutal. We had ropes on both legs and you pull the rope up to a pipe, and then you had to walk down the rope. You had to put so much pressure trying to get this, this calf out. It was crazy, right? And the cow is bellowing, and she's giving up. And it was just, it was like just one of these horrible things, right? And my dad, uh, he's going to lose the calf, which is about $100, and a cow, which is about $1,000. And he was not real happy about that. That's a lot to a farmer 25 years ago. It's a lot to a farmer today. And, uh, in, and my dad was in combat mode. You ever see the war movie, There's a Nice Guy? If you saw the tank movie, you know what I'm talking about? You know, the Brad Pitt's this nice guy. And also he gets really wild when it's a little battle scene. And, and that's, that was my dad. My dad's a real laid-back, funny guy. You've all, a lot of you have met him, and he's a lot of fun. But when the cow's having the calf, and they're going to die, he goes into combat mode and, and he's yelling and he's using some barn language. We're not allowed to use it in the house, but in the barn we can use it. And he's using the barn language. And, and, uh, and, and Kim was in shock, right? Because she was given the job of tying the rope. She, her job was as we walked on the rope and calf comes out some more, she was supposed to pull the rope and pull it tight and wrap it again. Easy job. We gave her the easy one, believe me. But, but she'd never done this before, right? So, so she wasn't doing it quite fast enough for my dad, who was yelling at her, and he's never raised his voice to her before. 
her. She was like, who is this man? You know? And so it was, it was wild. It was wild. And, uh, and so it, it's, it's, he, he's you know, yelling at her, and she didn't know what she was doing. He's freaking out. And think of the war movie. And now we're all used to it. It didn't bother us. We're used to my dad in the war mode. And we're all in it, too, because we're trying to get this calf out and save this cow. Finally, though, but Kim was not. She was in shock. And so was the cow. The cow was in shock because of all the pain it was in. We finally pulled this calf out, and it's dead. It's dead. We knew it was dead. We knew it before we even started pulling it was going to be dead. There's no way you get first calf, heifer, giant bull. It's going to die. But we're just trying to save the cow. But the cow is in such a mode now, she keeps pushing, keeps pushing. The calf is out, but she keeps pushing, and she casts her withers. If you don't know what that is, Google it. I'm not going to describe it in detail, but basically she's pushing her insides out. She can't stop, and, and it was brutal, and we're trying to get her to stop. It was not pretty, <laughs> and the vet comes over. We call the vet, vet. You want to be a vet? Large animals for farms? Think twice. Uh, the vet comes Christmas morning very early. I think it was about 6 o'clock now by the time we got this calf out, and Hallmark Walton moment, right? And so she, he comes, and he's trying to clean up the mess, and he, he's doing the best again, pouring disinfectant all over it, and he's pushing it back in, he's sewing it, he gets the insides back in, he sews it up, and wouldn't you know, that cow was okay. She recovered. She actually got up not too long too longer later, and she was okay. She had other calves down the road. Uh, it was, somehow she survived. Kim was sitting there watching all this. She's like, thanks for waking me up. <laughs> Yeah, she was not happy to be there. Uh, and my, I walk into the bar. We walk through the snow back into my house. And my mom was waiting to hear what happened. She goes, what happened? What happened? And I said, well, the cow's okay, but Kim killed the calf. <laughs> she didn't pull the rope fast enough. I was trying to make it funny because I was just trying to break, you know, the, I was trying to break the ice for Kim, who's covered with ice now. And I was just trying to, like, break it a little because she was in shock, right? Uh, but Kim was traumatized. It's a miracle that she ever wanted to have kids after that. It's a really a miracle that she ever had 13 children after that. That's a miracle. Because not only did she see this happen, but she also had a lot of problems with pregnancies and births. A lot of people don't know that. Many people would say, they say, oh, how many kids do you have? I'd say, oh, six, seven, eight, as we're going up the list. Oh, your wife must have easy deliveries and easy pregnancies that's why you have so many kids I'm like no actually it's just the opposite pretty much she had a challenge with every kid either with a pregnancy or with a birth uh, a, a very a lot of a lot of complications uh, grandpa and grandma remember all these things that happened every every one and Kim can tell you the stories starting with Ryan our very first one that we had in down in Mississippi on a mission trip <laughs> he, he came real early and um, and uh, and then he wanted to come real early and then he decided he didn't want to come out after the process was beginning and then the doctor had to to give uh, give her a lot of a pit you know the, the Pitocin pit, you know, a lot of the pit, and, and he still wouldn't come out excruciating. He was a pain then, and he's still a pain. What is it? Things don't change, do they? Well, anyway, uh, he, he wouldn't come out, and, and the, they had to give her so much um, the pit, so much to get the contractions going that they never, you know how the contraction comes up and down, up and down, and, and you have time in between minutes, and Kim's just stayed up the whole time. It was, like, brutal for her. It was, like, like... 12 hours, I don't know, 10 hours, whatever. It was like hours and hours of just brutal. And this time, I was the one who was traumatized. 
Uh, she, does, she wasn't because she doesn't remember it. She was del- delirious because of all the pain she was in. And we had gone to all these classes. Oh, you don't have it naturally. Don't take anything, you know. Oh, only the wimpy women do that. And do it the right way. And they brainwashed us, you know. After five, we, I said, you're taking something, you know. But uh, I don't care. But, but this time she didn't. She was like in pain. And I was traumatized. It was unbelievable, you know, as I'm watching this. But... What if I had said, that's it, that's enough, enough pain. I can't take this anymore, which I did say several times. Doctors pushed me out the door several times, but it was brutal. He said, what if I had said, stop right now, we're going to stop this process. Or, or wait, let me take over and do it in a different way so she won't be in pain. What if I had done that? There'd be no Ryan and no Kim, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean, they, they wouldn't have survived, the, well, survived that birth, right? No baby and no Kim. Yet, so often... That's exactly what we do. So often that's exactly what we do with God and what he's doing in our lives. We do that same thing. We do it in our life or we do it in other people's life. We intervene and, and we try to stop what is happening well, because it's too painful, because we don't like what's happening. And we're going to see this in Mark chapter 8 with the Apostle Peter. That's why the title is called Staying Out of God's way out of God's way if you weren't here get the cds or go on the podcast and listen but what happened is so far the apostles finally figure out who Jesus is they finally figure out who he is he's the Christ he's the Messiah he's the son of God right and then he tells Jesus says okay now I'm going to build my church and you're going to be all key players in this this building of the church and this church will be an unstoppable force it's going to crash the gates of hell it's going to be unstoppable Sounds great. You can imagine the apostles. Sounds great. Let's get started. Are we going to march in Jerusalem or are we going to go right to Rome? What are we going to do? Well, first I'm going to die. First I'm going to die. That had to be a shock for the apostles. Had to be a shock. And his plan for our lives is often a shock for us, isn't it? As we're going to see here in just a few moments. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the worship. We thank you for this Christmas season, not because of all the bells and whistles and all the traditions, which are fun, but we thank you for this Christmas season because it means that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be born for us, to die for us. We pray for your mercy and grace now to hear what you're saying to us, not just to the the, the 12 apostles, but to each one of us this morning, what you're saying to us through these, through your word today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 8, 31 to 33. Now, I'm going to read three verses, but we're only going to do 32 and 33. You're going to have to come back next week for verse 31, where Jesus predicts his death. We're going to come back to that because uh, that's a whole sermon in itself. But I want to focus today on Peter's response to the prediction of his death, and then how Jesus responds to Peter. Let's read the verses here. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Whew. 
So we're going to come back to the prediction of death, but I just want to focus today on these, the, the rebuking. And first of all, we see that Peter rebukes Jesus. And to fully appreciate the whole part, keep, that, keep your finger in both places, I want to look at Matthew 16, 22 to 23, also the parallel passage, because it brings out a little, some different aspects of this to really understand what Peter was saying. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. The word used here that Peter, the word used for Peter's rebuking of Jesus is the same word that is used when Jesus rebukes demons. He wasn't just saying, oh, Jesus, I don't know if that's a good idea. You want to, what do you think? No, he was laying in. Just, it had authority and forceful authority. Just like when Jesus was cast out of demon, Peter took authority and was telling Jesus what he was, gonna, what he was going to and not going to do. Obviously, Peter's confession, we saw that last week, and his finally saying something right went to his head. It swelled up. He thinks he's in charge now, right? Jesus follows this with quite a rebuke of his own. He calls him Satan. Wow. That's the meanest thing Jesus ever said in the Bible. Yeah. Calls him Satan. Why? Because Peter was doing Satan's work. He was trying to keep Jesus from the cross, which was God's will for Jesus. He was trying to keep him from the cross. Remember the three temptations we looked at way back when we were in Mark chapter 1. We looked, jumped over to Matthew 4 and we, and we saw the temptations. Each of those temptations was an attempt by Satan to get Jesus to avoid the cross. That's what he's trying to get him to do. Remember we talked about that? But Jesus passes that test with Satan and now his closest friends are trying to convince him to do the same thing. They're playing right into Satan's hands. Only it's not Satan, he's using his closest friends to do it this time. And this is a serious warning for all of us because we all can fall into the same trap, can't we? We all do the same thing. We all do it. Notice that he looked at all the disciples in Mark chapter 8. He looked at all the disciples. Why? Because they were all thinking the same thing. Peter just had the big mouth. He's just saying it. But they were all, he looked at all of them for a reason. They were all thinking the same thing. He knew it. And guess what? We all think the same way. This is for us. He's looking at us today in this verse. We all do the same thing. We can work against God and do the work of Satan. That's why we have to keep our eyes open spiritually. Very, very important. We keep our eyes open, wide open spiritually. We can be in the spirit one moment. And the very next moment we can be in the flesh or even worse. Right? You ever experienced that? Wow, you're having this great spiritual day, doing great. And some trigger, something sets, and the next thing we're in the flesh or even doing Satan's work. Being divisive or nasty or mean. I, nobody here probably can relate to it, but you might know someone like that. Our flesh doesn't like painful trials, does it? Our flesh doesn't like to carry crosses. 
God gives, us all, God gives us all crosses to carry. That cross might be something painful we have to go through, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It could be a calling that God gives us that's painful. He calls us to go do something that is hard on the flesh and, and painful. So when I talk about cross, it could be a trial. It could be something he's calling us to do that, that we don't really naturally want to do. But, but our flesh doesn't like that. And that, that God calls us to carry these crosses for his purpose. We're all called to carry our cross. He doesn't, our flesh doesn't like that. And Satan takes advantage of this, of our flesh, to tempt us to go against God's will for our life. You ever experienced that? <laughs> Just about every day, right? He takes advantage to tempt us to go against God's will for our life. And so we come up with a better plan, a new improved plan, much better than God's plan. We come up with these new plans, how we're going to live our life. And whenever that happens... Think of red flashing light, police cars, you know, and ambulances, and those red flashing lights, danger, 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 danger. Uh, this is danger. Anytime we go against God's word and God's will for our life, danger, because when we do that, we are open to Satan's lies at that moment. We're open to Satan's lies. And the person, and I hear, see it all the time, the person who says they love Jesus but goes against God's word has been deceived by Satan. Remember this, when we say we love Jesus, but we go against God's word, we have been deceived by Satan. I see it all the time. I've heard it all. I've fought it all myself. Whatever you thought, I've already thunk it, you know? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, we all struggle with this. We all do. That's called strongholds in our life. Sexual sin comes to mind here. Any sexual thought or action outside of a husband and wife marriage goes against God's word. Whether it's premarital sex, adultery, homosexual sin, uh, uh, pornography, self-sex, doesn't matter what it is, it all is against God's word, clearly. So if we, but we make all these excuses why we can do these things and why, we, why it's okay and we do gym, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to, to justify it or, or whatever. And we, and, and it's, but what we've done, if we are involved in any of that stuff, and we all struggle, is we are believing Satan's lie instead of God's word. And it's not only that we make excuses, but often we encourage other people to do the same thing. We encourage others to do the same thing. Often because we mean well. We really mean well when we do it, but we're doing Satan's job. Just like Peter. It's amazing how many, to me, how many parents, Christian parents, are against divorce until their kids are in an unhappy marriage. And then they like give them a green light. Well, I don't, and I say, what are you doing? Why are you telling your kid it's okay to get a divorce? Well, I just want them to be happy. What have they just done? Satan's job. Or, or some will come to me and they'll say, oh, well, all my Christian friends say it's okay to divorce my... I mean, I'm using lightning rod things. You can apply this across the board. But divorce is an easy one. Sexual sin is an easy one to, to relate to this. But it goes all the way around. But all my Christian friends are coming to me. All my Christian friends tell me it's okay to divorce my spouse. Even my Christian counselor told me it was okay. And I'll be like, well, are they abusive? Uh... 
I mean, they'll say, no, they'll say that because they're abusive. I go, well, how? Have they threatened you? Have they hit you? Oh, no, 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 no. But, uh, but uh, no, just, just, they're mean. And they're not meeting my needs. Guys, usually, my wife's not meeting my needs. And the wife is usually, well, he's mean. And, and, uh, and I'll be like, listen, if they're truly abusive, if somebody's truly abusive, there's separation, there's church discipline, we do it. We don't like to do it, but we do it. That's biblical, not divorce, right? But if they're just mean or they're, they're, your spouse doesn't meet your needs, there's no biblical grounds for that. You know, we can get Christian counseling and we can help you work through it, you know. But, but listen, really, though, typically it comes down to if the focus is all on yourself, one of you or both of you, it's all on yourself, that's the problem. If you could just take the focus off self and meeting the other person's need or being nice to the other person, amazing things happen. But because we are not thinking biblically, we'll say, yeah, I can get divorced, or I can encourage someone to get divorced, or, oh, yeah, they're mean. You don't have to be with them anymore. Even pastors fall in this trap. Even we as pastors, we can fall in this. We can give God's people a pass. We can give people a pass that God's word doesn't give them. I'll use divorce again just because it's an easy one. And I'm not trying to make people feel bad or anything, but this is what God's words teach. A woman, I remember a woman coming to me, a good friend, saying, I, I'm going to get remarried. She had divorced, and I'm going to get remarried. And, and I knew her, her ex-husband still wanted to be married to her. He was waiting for her to come back. And I said, you can't. She goes, well, I just came to you last because I wanted to just be sure because I wasn't sure. But I've had five pastors tell me it's okay. And, and I just want to be sure. Well, I said, well, you can't. Your husband's waiting for you. You better get back to him. You can't marry this. But I'm in love with this new guy. I mean, it doesn't matter. The word of God is clear. Don't marry. If you don't go back to him, you cannot get remarried. But all these pastors have told me, and she started naming them. And the guy who married her is a heavy hitter. You probably read a lot of his books. He married this woman. And I said, I don't care what they say. God's word says this. Go back to your husband or remain single. Well, she went ahead with it. A year later, called me and said, why didn't I listen to you? You're the only one who gave me God's word instead of some opinion loosely based on God's word. You're the only one. And now I'm living in hell because my new marriage is hell. She called me two years later and said, I'm still in hell. Three years later, I said, stop, now stop beating yourself up. You made a mistake, ask God for forgiveness, take the discipline, and move forward. But, but it's because she went against God's word. And she was encouraged by pastors, five pastors to do this. We, or, or as pastors, we can try to rescue, or as even Christian brothers and sisters, we can try to rescue someone from the pain they're in. But pain is one of God's main tools. When I was first in ministry, I used to try to rescue everybody from pain. If they're in pain, I try to come up with a solution right away and get them out of it and help them. And 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 I felt so bad, you know. It's I felt really bad for people. I tried to solve their pain problem, but then I came to realize that it wasn't my job to take away pain, but to help people go through the pain and find their healing and get out of that pain. What God is trying to bring, because sometimes painful trials are given by God to grow us spiritually. Psalm 119.71, David says, It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Often pain is the only way to get, God can get our attention. 
This week, and I hate this when this happens, I'm working on a sermon, I started getting pain in my stomach, like severe. It's, it's probably the worst pain I've ever had. I felt like somebody stabbed me with a knife. I'm like, what is going on, you know? And I was like, you know, didn't know what to do, and I laid down, I did everything. And I was actually ready to call the, the, the doctor. I was in so much pain. I was like going to say, Kim, take me to the hospital. Uh, I'm having a baby. No, that's what I was saying. So, not that much pain. I've been told it's not that much. All right, so... No matter what I have, it's not that much. So, uh, but I, so I'm, I'm, but I'm like, finally, I'm like, God, what are you trying to tell me? I got, I went from, God, help me take this away to, God, what are you trying to tell me? And it stopped. I was like, oh my gosh, I got this little sermon illustration, boom, right in my face. You know, that's what God uses pain to get our attention. And our first prayer is always like, get it out of here. And then we're like, God, what are you trying to do in my life? What are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to work in my life? God uses pain. It gets our attention. It's a teaching tool. Pain is also an indicator that something is wrong, right? It's something wrong physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Something's wrong. And usually we just go to the doctor and they give us a pill. Throw pills at us. If there's any kind of pain in any of those areas, they just throw the pill at us, right? But the problem with a pill, and there's a time and a place to take a pill. Don't get me wrong. Is there crisis times and get us through times? But if we just take pills for our pain, what does that do? It doesn't heal us. It just masks the, the problem. It just masks it. And sooner or later, we need stronger medicine, stronger medicine. Or we self-medicate. We don't go to the doctor, we self-medicate, right? We all do it. We turn to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we turn to sex, we turn to food. We turn to anything that will soothe our pain. And the problem is, usually it's not, it's not effective long-term. And it usually becomes addictive and sinful in our life, right? And so instead of... We self-medicate. Instead of finding the source of our pain and turning to Jesus Christ and the body of Christ for the healing, we turn the wrong way. How about us? Are we staying out of God's way? In the United States, we try to avoid pain at all costs, don't we? That's part of our culture. We hate pain. I, I, I don't like pain. You should see when I go in for surgery. I've been in for I've been at several hernia surgeries. I remember going in for the hernia and then the doctors, you know, different surgeries, and they always say, "Okay, we're going to give you this drug to dull the pain." And but if you feel something, let us know. And and I have a plan every time I go in for a surgery. As soon as they start, I say, "I can feel it." <laughs> no, first I say, "Please put me to sleep. Put me to sleep." Not permanently, you know, like farm animals, but, but put me to sleep. I don't want to feel anything. But sometimes the doctors, you don't need to be put to sleep for this procedure, that procedure. Like, Just tell me if you're feeling it, I'll give you a little bit more. Uh, I got your number, doctor. I, I can feel it. Real, oh, okay, here's a little more. A few minutes later, if I feel even a tug or anything, if I, wherever, I can feel it because I don't want to feel pain. You know? And finally, finally, they're like, that's enough. Boom, you know, and I'm, I'm out. And I, see, I got my way. I didn't feel anything, you know. And because I don't want, but that's funny when it's little surgeries. But when God's doing the surgery, it's not funny, is it? When God is doing the surgery and he's trying to heal something in our life and do something, it's not funny to try to get out of it. But we've been so conditioned to avoid any pain that we'll, we'll just take a pill, for any pain. Or even our, even our prayers are so self-centered, they're just, God, get me out of this. Or take another person out of their difficulty. Get them out of that. Get them out of that. And 
that's fine to pray that way. We always pray, God, please heal them. But unless God has got them there for a reason. And that's what we have to discern. Our first prayer is like, please heal them. Please. But, but if they're not, then you say, okay, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do? They're there for a reason. Because if we don't think that way and pray that way, we can work against God even when we're well-meaning. Do you ever do that? We work against God. It's really hard for parents. What do parents want to do? We want to rescue our children, right? It's really hard for us, especially for those helicopter parents out there. You know, you know who you are, hovering around, you know, constantly hovering around, watching everything our kids do and, and analyzing and psychoanalyzing. And, 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 you know, they go to college and you're still hovering and you're stalking them on Facebook and, and nobody here. But you might know someone like that. It's really hard, isn't it? Because what we end up doing is we, we end up rescuing our children when God is trying to discipline them. God is trying to discipline them and we rescue them. I knew a woman who would, her husband, her, her son had so many issues, real serious issues, and he kept getting in trouble with the law. And she kept bailing him out. Not just going and bailing him out, but, but whatever he did, she'd get a big lawyer, she'd fight to get him out of jail and out of prison, and she just kept bailing him out and she would get him out of jail but he was in a worse jail he was in a satanic stronghold because she wouldn't let him go through god's discipline process and as far as i know he's still there years years later in and out of jail and stuck in satanic strongholds or we give our children worldly fleshly advice worldly fleshly advice because we care so much about them you can't go there to the mission field. It's dangerous. You can't go to the work and minister in the inner city. It's too dangerous. That's fleshly advice. That's worldly advice. Because the key is, where does God want them? I had a, a young man who came to me years ago when I was a youth pastor and said, I feel like my first year of college, I'm not supposed to go to college. I'm supposed to go to the mission field. I really sense God leading me to take a year for missions and then go to college. He wasn't going to dodge college. He's going, but I really feel this call. I said, I think that's, that's super. If God's calling you, I'm going to help you find a place. And we prayed together, and I started looking for him. Well, his parents called up and ripped me up and down. Who do you think you are? What kind of youth pastor are you encouraging my kid to take a year off from college and go on the mission field? I don't care if he gets out of college. Maybe he's still interested. That's fine. But no, he's not missing. And, and they worked him over and told me to shut my big mouth. And then he didn't go to the mission field. He went to college. And he never did go to the mission field. Never did. He went what I think was a very unhealthy direction. Are we fighting God in some way? Or are we helping someone else go against God's painful purpose in life? God's painful trials have a purpose. The crosses that he, he calls us to carry have a purpose. And we, we don't want to help rescue them or enable people. Don't enable people or rescue them because we're going against God. Do, don't do that, but do pray for them. Do encourage them. Do coach them. Do love them. Do be supportive. Do those things, but don't rescue or enable them in any way. And don't give them Satan's sympathy. Did you know you can give Satan sympathy? 
When someone's going through a trial and God's trying to work on their heart, and often what, what we do is we want a pity party, don't we? We're going through something uh, and, and God's trying to work, but we focus so much on our pain and, and I need sympathy and we have a big pity party and, and we're focused on that. And, and we could even give people that, that sympathy, Satan sympathy. Their focus can't be on getting sympathy and, 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 and the hurt I'm going through. The, the focus, our focus should be what is God working on? Be careful. Give compassion, but don't give Satan's sympathy. Keep the focus on what is God working on. Don't misunderstand that. Love them and affirm and encourage them, but the focus shouldn't be, oh, why am I going through this? What am I doing? Well, you know, no, it should be, what is God doing? What is God doing in our life? It's hard, isn't it? I know if I have any pain, I want all the sympathy in the world, right? But that, that's, that's Satan's trap. It reminds me of a story. This whole thing reminds me of a story. I'm going to end this and then go into prayer here. It reminds me of a story I read recently in the news. A, a, a guy was speeding down the road. True story. You can Google it. He's speeding. A cop pulls him over and stops him for speeding. This guy was not happy. He was now blocked and he's going to have to pay money. He was not happy. But the guy un, didn't know it, but he was actually starting a heart attack. And he has a heart attack right there in front of the policeman. The policeman is a policeman. He gets him to the hospital fast and he saves his life. Saved his life. If that policeman hadn't been right there, the guy might not have survived. Probably would have died. Out alone in his own car. Often, that's what God does with us, isn't it? God stops us for a purpose. Because he wants to work in our hearts. He wants to work on something in our life. He wants to accomplish something. He wants to save us. Will we let him or will we fight him? Let's pray. As we go this time of prayer, do we find ourselves telling God what to do? As we start in our prayer, we get, even when we pray, are we, do we tell God what to do when we pray? Do we find ourselves frustrated and mad? We all do. Don't raise your hand. We all do this. Everything I've said today, we all do. <laughs> Peter started it, and it's all for us. I'm first in line. Are we getting mad because God didn't answer our prayers? Which he did, by the way. Yes, no, or wait. <laughs> but it didn't answer them the way we wanted, so we get mad and we get frustrated. The key is, as we go to this time of prayer, to pray, God, your will be done. Please accomplish your will, your purpose in my life. Guess what? If we pray that way, he will answer it every time. But it comes down to faith, doesn't it? It comes down to trust and faith. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe as, maybe as Christians... He's calling us to live by faith, to carry our cross, to submit or to surrender to his will for our life. Whatever that cross may be, whether it's a painful trial or whether it's, it's, he's calling us to do something that we don't in the flesh want to do. He's calling us out to, to do something that's in his will and in his purpose. Or he's calling us to help someone else. Not enabling them, but to help them. 
carry their cross or go through a struggle they're going through, helping them go through and get out of it what God is calling them to get out of it, what the reason he's, the, the surgery he's doing, why? Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. It's not about living by faith because you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never come to the cross. And God, maybe God has you in the middle of a, a very difficult trial in your life because he's trying to bring you to your knees and to the cross. That's how he brings most of us to the cross. He has to break the flesh and break us so that we see the reality of our need for him and his love for us and how he wants to heal us in every way, especially spiritually. Let's just take this time to, to pray and to talk to God and to surrender some things. But if you're here today, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to surrender your life today. The Holy Spirit is, is calling you and speaking to you. Maybe you're just starting the journey, that's awesome. But maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, today is the day to come to the cross. To surrender your life. Right where you are sitting, you can do that right now. Just say, God, I believe Jesus, your son, was born on Christmas and died for me. He died on the cross for me. He gave his life, his body, his blood for me. He took my place for my sins, my punishment. I ask you to forgive me. I repent of my sin. I turn away from that life. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in your son Jesus. I give my life to him. I give my life to him. I'm going to follow him. Forgiveness, faith, and following. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. If you came here with someone, a family member, a friend, or fill out the card in the bulletin and stick it in the box or hand it to me or tell me or call me, text. Let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and help you in your new faith. Father, I pray that you help each one of us not to fall to the deception of Satan in our life, in someone else's life. I pray that you would help each of us to carry our cross and become the person you've called us to be in Christ. Becoming like Christ. I pray your Holy Spirit would do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.